You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mission Lab, episode 91, entitled Mission as Playing with House Money. I'd like to welcome you here to the the podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in. I want to give you a a word of warning that there might be a lot of background noise. Uh, There are people outside on the street um, uh, cutting down trees. So there's a chipper that is being used. There's chainsaws. And so hopefully it won't be too distracting. You you can't hear very much on the episode, but I just wanted to record this podcast desperately because there are some ideas that I have been really uh, wrestling with this morning. And um, I'm just like so excited about them that I just had to share it now so i i couldn't wait anymore now uh these episodes are pretty organic they're pretty um like real time so what comes to mind i you know whatever comes to mind i like i want to share it and um you know they're not tested out necessarily they're they're theories they're ideas that's why it's called mission lab uh, that kind of gives me license to say stuff that I can later disagree with myself about. But uh, so I might listen to this in like three years and I'll be like, oh, boy, that was a silly thing he said. But but I don't think so, because because I think it relates very much to the gospel. This this episode also has some um, the, the ideas behind it that kind of has some uh, crossover or or a similarity to a previous episode where, uh, let's see, I'm trying to scroll down my list to see, oh yeah, episode 76, episode 76, where uh, it was called The Gift of Discipleship. This this one um, really has a lot of similarity to that one, but it expands on it. And it, and it moves uh, forward with the ideas. So what I want to do is I want to read a quote first, and then I will kind of kind of unpack it in a very uh, roundabout way. And hopefully you'll be able to follow along with me. But these are literally things I've been processing this morning that I want to share um, this morning because I'm recording it this morning. So it's it's sort of a surprising source for this quote because it has nothing absolutely nothing to do with mission or discipleship explicitly uh, and of course um i would argue that it does because the the broad category of discipleship um kind of entails every human relationship but it's from a book called the dance of intimacy. You're going to get some marital advice and some relational advice here on this podcast at no extra charge. The book is called The Dance of Intimacy by Harriet Lerner. 
The Dance of Intimacy by Harriet Lerner. She's a psychologist that that has a lot of really good um, a lot of really good insight into how to operate uh, within uh, relationships, marriage, family, all of that sort of thing. And the underlying uh, kind of idea, at least for me, is as I interpret it through the lens of like codependence and um, just being able to operate as your full self-actualized self. Um, and so there is a line at the end of towards the end of this book called The Dance of Intimacy, where Dr. Harriet Lerner uh, just kind of in passing, but it, it was so pivotal for me when I read it the first time. She says this, listen to this, quote, paradoxically, we cannot navigate clearly within a relationship unless we can live without it. Let me read that again. Paradoxically, we cannot get, navigate clearly within a relationship unless we can live without it. That is, unless we can live without the relationship. So what she's basically saying, again, this is this has been really influential for me uh, just in my relationships, um, you know, maritally, as a parent. Um, what she's saying is, I cannot bring my true and my full self to a relationship if I have a fear of losing that relationship, because if 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 my fear of losing that relationship is so operative within the relationship, then I have to be someone other than myself in order to save that relationship. So in other words, there are moments, believe it or not, when when Camille uh, is unhappy with me and I'm not, you know, divulging any big, deep, deep, dark secrets here. I, I there's times where I'm unhappy with her. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't love each other. It's just, as you know, in marriage relationships or friendships, people have moments of you know, getting um, upset with each other. And so what happens with me is that I get overly codependent and I then start to try to just do whatever I need to do to get the other person happy with me, to, to regain their happiness with me. And so what happens is consequently, I start doing, I, I start acting in ways that are not truly authentic, other-centered behaviors because I am just doing what I need to do to restore the happiness. So just as a very, very simple, easy example, um, I, uh, you know, if, I, if, if the dishes are piling up and Camille's come home and she's had a hard day um, and she's, she's upset, this is, this is not a very good example because it doesn't happen, but just as a simple example, she gets upset because all the dishes are piled up. I, um, I, I, I worry and I say to myself, oh boy, like I don't want her to be unhappy with me, so I'm going to do these dishes. But when I do it from that place, I'm doing it not from an authentically genuine, other-centered, loving 
place. I'm doing it with bitterness, with resentment, because I'm just doing what I need to do to restore her happiness with me. And so, and, I, and I've explained this before, and I guess I was, I was being too risky without realizing it, and maybe you're going to be listening to this right now and thinking to yourself, oh boy, this is a very extreme example. But I, but I, I sometimes have to literally go to a place emotionally, mentally, where I say to myself, you know what? If I lose this relationship, it is not as though my existence will cease to exist. And what that does for me is it allows me to get to the place where I operate as myself and instead of, of hustling to engage in certain behaviors to win back the relationship, it allows me to actually own what I need to own and not own what I don't need to own. Um, and so, I mean, this is very, very complicated. I'm taking a long time to explain this, but, but um, sometimes when you are in, when, when you, when you, uh, struggle with codependence, you, you take on more ownership of th- than what you should own. And maybe, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't the one who, who created the problem. And so I don't need to take more than I should take. And that usually what happens then is I then learn, you know, I'll, I'll do the dishes from a place of joy rather than resentment. So, Anyway, all this is to say is that, and in this may sound very extreme, but we cannot navigate clearly, and I'll put this word in there, we cannot operate clearly within a discipleship relationship unless we can live without that relationship. So let me let me uh, take a step back here and and kind of share with you the uh, kind of the, the path I took to come to this realization as it relates to mission. So stick with me here, okay? You with me? We're already 10 minutes in. I hope you're not bored. But here's what I, here's what I want to do. So yesterday I was visiting with a friend and um, it, was a, it was a very good, good, good visit. It's somebody that's very important to me, somebody that I have been on a journey of discipleship with for a number of years now. And for some reason, I just felt, I felt particularly um, happy about my visit. And I just thought to myself, you know what, that was a really fun time. It was a really cool visit. And, but, but then I, I kind of had this sense as I often do of foreboding joy. Foreboding joy is something that Brene Brown talks about where um, she talks about people not being able to fully rejoice when something good happens because they have a sense in the back of their mind that that particular success or that particular uh, re, you know moment of rejoicing will be taken away and that it will disappear and they'll say well why did I ever you know rejoice in that so so this was kind of I'm, I'm driving home and I'm thinking this you know um, that was really good but like how does that contribute to the larger story and that and that kind of 
got me to, and again, this goes back to that episode 76 where the, where I was talking about the gift of discipleship. Um, I kind of have the tendency to rejoice in any particular moment based upon whether I think that moment contributes to a larger missional narrative or story. And so I, um, I got to thinking, um, you know, there's this story that I've kind of told myself that goes something like this. Um, the story that I'm involved in is that I am a pastor in Bangor, Maine, and the story that I am living in and I'm working towards is that I have these uh, kind of innovative missional ideas that are really not all that innovative. They're just kind of going back to first century Christianity. And I am working towards the demonstration of these theories so that I can prove that these theories work and that these theories uh, are the are the are, are the missional um, are the missional uh, sort of posture that people should take. And so, so again, like I I have gotten to the place where kind of implicitly, and and I and I try as hard as I can to resist this, but underlying my um, my sort of framework is again this idea that the story that I'm in, the story that I'm involved with is is a missional rescue project in Bangor, Maine that will ultimately demonstrate and prove that um, that my theories are true. And I, and I sort of have this kind of like, um, implicit audience that I'm, that I'm like, that, that is observing my story. And I am seeking to demonstrate to that audience that, that, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm successful in this, his whole pursuit. And so, um, so again, like, and and I would say maybe even more broadly that um, that like I am yeah like I am expected by God to live this life of disciple making, and He is trying to use me to acquire more human resources. And so this this is this is the story. This is the the underlying story that I feel like I am a part of or like I feel like I am the main actor in the story. And so to to whatever degree any particular moment uh I sense contributes to that story, I um I delight in it. And I rejoice in it, and I and I I feel like I am, I am sort of advancing in the story. But you know, the problem with that is that, as I you know, if you've listened to recent episodes, the problem with that is that it feels like I'm not really doing very well in the story, and like 
May, well, you know, maybe it's just like the story takes a lot longer than I realize it does, but ultimately um, it's frustrating because, yeah, like I want it to go faster. I want it to be more successful. I want it to work. And I just keep coming up against these roadblocks that seem to make the story more and more complicated and more and more frustrating. And so as I'm driving along and, and you're, as you're listening, you're thinking to yourself, man, you, you overanalyze these things way too much. And I am guilty of that. Um, I have the wonderful, um, wonderful, uh, weakness of, of engaging in so much self-reflection. Uh, so anyway, the, the point is, as I'm driving along, I'm thinking to myself, well, why, why can't I simply delight in a moment for the moment's sake? Like, why can't I just enjoy that visit I just had? Not because I think it contributes to this bigger story. Why can't I just enjoy it for what it is? But as I'm thinking about this, I'm realizing, you know what? I don't know that that works either because... I believe that we were designed, we were created to have a sense of purpose, to have a sense of direction, to to feel like we are a part of a story, to feel like um, we are a part of something bigger than the moment. And the reality is, um, at least as I understand it, if we think the moment is all there is, then we actually can't really enjoy it because that means that like everything is riding on that moment and that's a lot of pressure. So I felt like I was kind of stuck between these two two positions. Like on the one hand, it feels like, um, like we should be a part of a bigger story and that every particular moment, like I do want to know how that contributes to the bigger story. We are, we are narrative people. We, we, we are story formed people. And so I want to know how my life fits into that bigger story. But on the other hand, it kind of um, felt like just my story brings me a lot of frustration and sadness. And I, um, I, I don't want to be in that place. So here's where I went. Here's what I realized. I realized that I have been living into the wrong story. I have not realized that my story is so much bigger and better than this very limited, narrow view that I had. So my story I bought into and I believed is that um, God put me in Bangor, Maine, 
and I'm going to be very overly reductionist and simplistic here, but God put me in Bangor, Maine to be used, quote unquote, by him to make disciples and to grow a community of disciples who are living missionally. So here's the problem, and then I'll get into the bigger story. Here's the problem. If that is my story, then I will only have peace and joy in the story to the degree that I feel like I am achieving that story. And it turns my story into a constant pursuit of acquiring human capital. You hear what I'm saying? So it turns my story into me hustling to achieve where I think the story is supposed to go. And what I've realized, and, and, and I would say this applies not only to disciple-making, to mission, but I would say just in general, life, listen to me carefully here, life and mission are not about acquiring human capital. And that, and that sounds like a, a, a very strange way to put it, human capital, but, but I realize that that is to a large extent what we so often do, whether it's maritally, whether it's children, whether it is um, friendships. We are on this constant pursuit of seeking to acquire human capital. That is friendships, marriages, children, whatever. Even our attempts to acquire material goods, cars, houses, you know, vacation homes, vacations, even our attempts to acquire these things are ultimately in some way a, a, a constant pursuit of acquiring human capital in the form of human approval. And, and maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, this doesn't... I can't relate to this. And Sean, you always make everything about like getting other people's approval. And yes, I, I understand that I do, but I have the, I'm of the opinion that all of us ultimately are, um, longing for that type of approval. So here's the thing. We, we do not operate or we should not operate from a place of scarcity but from a place of wholeness. And we have, we have unpacked that a little bit before, but that, that helps me see like, what if the story that I'm really a part of is not about this little missional project here in Bangor? What if the bigger story involves me being a part of God's story where he delights in me. So, so check this out. The story begins with this triune God that lived in community among themselves, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
and they created me. This is very important for me to understand. They created me not because they needed me, but because they wanted to delight in and love me. And that that's that's actually really important. And I I don't think that I give it enough um enough thought and I don't think I appreciate it as much. God did not create me because he needs me. God God any you know God had all all his needs within the the triune godhead. They 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 don't have you know God is not codependent you know to state the obvious. Um so God is not looking to quote unquote use me. I've been I've been trying to be conscious of that a lot lately. You know, we pray these prayers, God use me today, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. God is not looking to use me to help his story. That's not what this is all about. God brought me into existence because he has loved me from everlasting. He has he delights in me. He wants to relate to me. He has given everything for me. He is devoted to my well-being. He is devoted to my existence and my eternity. He does not delight in me based upon my missional success. He does not approve of me based upon my ability to acquire human capital. He has not put me in Bangor, Maine to achieve anything for him. He has put me in Bangor, Maine because he loves me and because he wants my ultimate happiness. And... Well, let me back up here a second. Maybe he didn't actually, quote unquote, put me in Bangor, Maine. He, he's not a micromanager. That's a whole other story. But God is not a micromanager. But all this is to say is that God's interest in me and my contribution to God's story is not dependent upon my ability to perform for God. And the really cool thing with that is that I ultimately do not have to hustle to acquire human approval because I have God's approval. This is, and I have to always go back to this, and this is like a broken record for me, but this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God said that of Jesus. He's saying it of me. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the story that I'm a part of is a story of God's, God's delight in me. And so he's created me. He's brought me into existence because he wants to relate to me. He wants to, he wants to walk with me, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He wants to walk with me in the cool of the day. He wants to spend eternity with me. I mean, this, this, this is kind of like Bible 101, and it sounds kind of, overly simplistic and maybe wishy-washy, but that, that has to be what it is. Like 
God is a relational God who wants to have a relational journey with me. And he's inviting me into the reality of that story. And so my journey in life and my my contribution and my part of the story is learning to walk in the light of and the reality of my belovedness. And it's about nothing beyond that. Now, I look at the the hurt and the pain and the suffering in the world and yeah, it it it's it, it touches my heart and um I know that God is inviting me to participate in the relieving of human suffering. I do know that God is inviting me to invite others into his story. But my place in the story does not ride on my ability to execute my part in the story perfectly. And so that's the thing is that um, I am playing with house money. I have nothing to lose in the story. Now, you know, that could sound like uh, once saved, always saved, blah, 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 blah. But that's a whole other salvational conversation that really is irrelevant right now. But the point is, if I have God's delight, I do not need anybody else's delight. I am not hustling to acquire human capital. I My story that I'm working towards is not to be successful as a, as a missional, incarnational, church planting, disciple making, community forming pastor in Bangor, Maine. That is not my story. That that might be, you know, one little page in the story, but ultimately the 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 big story of my life is not determined by my ability to execute that part of the story. Now there's this quote from Leslie Newbegin. He was sort of the grandfather of, of, of missional theory. And he wrote this book called The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. And um, he, 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 the couple of books I've read by him, just fabulous. The guy is so incredibly brilliant. Um, you know, he's passed away, but he was kind of the, the forefather, the grandfather of missional, of missional church. And he, he shares this in that, book, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society, page 127. He says, we distort matters when we make mission an enterprise of our own in which we can justify ourselves by our works. Whoa, that's 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 really speaks to me. So in other words, and I'll put it in the language that resonates with me. In other words, we, uh, we distort Mission. We distort the gospel. We distort disciple making when we make it about trying to earn or acquire um, people's approval. And uh, he 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 talks about it uh, in the in the in the terms he uses is justifying ourselves by our works. Um, I kind of my modern 
understanding of justifying myself by my works is hustling to gain the approval of other people. So, so when I turn mission into performing for this imaginary audience, like I could list you names of people who every once in a while, I don't, you know, like they're not even here in my state. They're not even, they don't even live in Bangor. They like, I, I, some of these people I've never even met before. And I'm like, and I like, I'm imagining, oh, they're going to be impressed with me when I do this. So when I turn mission into that, I distort the very nature of mission. When I turn it into this act of trying to impress people, when I turn it into this act of trying to gain God's approval, when I, when I think that God is happy with me when he's able to use me to reach other people, I totally mess it all up. So check out what he says. I love this. Check this out. The church's mission began as the radioactive fallout from an explosion of joy. Oh, man, talk about a rich sentence. The church's mission began as the radioactive fallout from an explosion of joy. Don't you love that radioactive fallout from an explosion of joy? This was the this was what they were this is what how they were operating. It was the early apostles totally and incredibly overwhelmed with joy and 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 excitement and gratitude for the reality of the risen savior. And so they weren't trying to acquire salvation, they weren't trying to acquire approval, they weren't trying to acquire human capital, they were simply living out the reality of their joy over God's story as seen in the person of Jesus. He goes on, okay? He goes on. When it is true to its nature, that is, the church is true to its its nature, it is so to the end. So this radioactive fallout from an explosion of joy continues to be our experience. Check this out now. Mission is an acted out doxology. So you know what doxology is? Um, Sometimes in our traditional worship services, we sing the doxology. Uh, The doxology comes from the Greek word doxa, which is praise. So that's what we're doing when we're singing the doxology. We are praising God. And so mission, what he's saying is, mission is simply us acting out our praise to God. He says that is its deepest secret. Its purpose is that God may be glorified. And so my mission, my disciple making is not in the service of acquiring, I know I keep saying this, but it's not in the service of acquiring human capital. It is a response to the reality of of God's character of love, and it's an act of praise whereby I am simply testifying to to the gift that I already have, and I have no inhibition because I am not worried about losing any 
thing, i.e. I am not worried about losing human capital because I have nothing to lose and I'm playing with house money. And I am willing, I am willing even to live without any particular relationship because I have nothing to lose. And so that's how it connects to that first quote from Harriet Lerner. So what, what so often happens, and, and this, is, this is where it kind of cuts close to home here for me. I have to freely admit that I, in the past, have been so worried about losing my relationship with any particular person I am discipling, that it's kind of always this lingering concern in the back of my mind. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to alienate them. I don't want to say this or I don't want to do that. And so it's almost like it's this subconscious and sometimes it's even fully conscious kind of processing that I'm doing in any given moment where I don't want to offend somebody. I don't want to come on too strong. I don't want to, I don't want to offend, you know, I don't want to say something that will turn them off. And when it all comes down, what it, what it all comes down to is that I have this acquisition of human capital story that I'm working with. And I want to make sure I do not jeopardize losing that human capital. And so my, my journey with people is not about living out of a story of joy, of delighting in God. It becomes a very careful, calculated way to number one, slowly and carefully disciple people so that I can ultimately acquire them into my story and or wanting to make sure I do not say something that prevents their ultimate acquisition into my missional relational story. So that's pretty like that's pretty deep. That's pretty deep. And so the irony of course is that by by carefully trying to operate within this sort of subconscious um relational dynamic thinking that by so doing I am preserving my chance to at some ill-defined time in the future to ultimately disciple them into my story, I'm actually undermining the very thing that I think I'm trying to do. And that's the irony here. So maybe the very thing that is preventing their acquisition is the fact that I am not bringing my full self to them. Again, this is probably pretty deep and hopefully I'm explaining it in a way that makes sense to you. But probably, ironically, the very thing that would actually 
disciple them into my story is the very thing I am so afraid of doing. And that is simply living out the unapologetic reality of my belovedness. So when I'm journeying with people, when I'm running alongside of people, literally running, like that's something I do. I'm about to go for a run actually with somebody momentarily. When I'm running with somebody, not like in the back of my mind calculating, okay, what do I, what, what's, what's, what's the line that I can do? I can, I can share this much and give kind of a little testimony that would get them thinking, but not too much so that I run the risk of turning them away from me. And, and I'm like calculating that. What about if I just said, you know what? I am beloved. I am, I, I have everything I need. I don't need this person. I do not need this person to be a part of my story in order for my story to be successful. I do not need to acquire them to my team in order for me to be justified in the eyes of all these other people that are looking on who actually probably really aren't looking on. That's another story. What if I just said, you know what? This is who I am. God delights in me. God loves me. I'm going to testify to that. I'm not going to worry about alienating you. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean we just go buck wild and we're these crazy preachers on the street that just, you know, pass out these tracks all the time. Maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too, um, like, too human in my perspective. What would happen though? What would happen if I operated from a place of wholeness, of joy, of delight, of, of one, realizing just how dearly beloved I am, and number two, testifying to how beloved I am. And that was, that was what my story was. That's what my story is. So the bottom line is, I am playing with house money. I got nothing to lose. I already have God's approval. I'm I'm a part of that story, which is so much bigger than Sean as disciple-making, missional, incarnational, church-planting Sean, who's doing this awesome thing in Bangor, Maine, Sean. That's a very narrow, small, kind of like, not all that impressive a story. The bigger story is, is that I am... I am dearly loved. I, God thought enough of me to give his son for me. And he delights in me. And I'm going to spend eternity with him. And um, I got nothing to lose, guys. I am playing with house money. I have nothing to lose. And... I can just operate from that story. And to the degree that I live out that joy, to the degree that I live out that that reality, to the degree that I live out my belovedness, that is the degree to which I am successfully, quote-unquote, um, like a part of and achieving 
that story, if I can use the term achieve. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the story I need to live into. So, um, does this make sense? I don't know. Maybe I'm just kind of rambling and, uh, maybe this wasn't helpful to anybody. Maybe nobody else struggles with this. Maybe it's, I don't know. But I would say again, even just on a human level, never mind the missional implications. You're like, your, your value in life is not determined by the number of thriving relationships you can maintain. It's not, it's not dependent in your marriage on that. It's not dependent as a parent on that. It's not dependent as whatever you do. Your, your um, value is completely determined by God's estimation. And you do not have to hustle to acquire capital, human capital, material capital. That is not what, 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 what completes your story. You are dearly beloved. And so recognizing that ironically takes the pressure off of you, your ability to perform in any given context and situation. You realize that your ability to be a successful doctor, attorney, teacher, pastor, treasurer, whatever, your ability to perform in those, mo in those situations does not determine um, your success. And so the paradox and the irony is that when this, when this, when, when you realize that, that, that your well-being is not on the line with these things, you actually are, are freed to perform in those situations better than if you think it's all dependent on you. And so this, the same is true missionally. Um, I think it's got to be. I'll, I'll update you. I expect that in three months, you know, my church will be, uh, will have like 500 people in it. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's the temptation for me, by the way, is to kind of like try to get in the back door this way. Maybe I'm like, oh, okay. So if I just live out of this story, maybe that's the key to get people to join my church is I'm no longer feeling like I'm, I have this pressure on me to kind of like disciple people perfectly. If I just live out my joy, when I just live out of this story, then that's the key to get people to join me. And so that's like, oh boy, that's a whole lot of really complicated, get in the back door type of thinking. And that needs to not be there because again, my story is not dependent upon me being able to acquire human capital. All right, guys. I've said enough, gone long enough. Thank you for listening. Assuming you have, um, email me, seanbrace at gmail.com. I'm not on Twitter anymore. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Instagram. 
So that's where you can find me, seanbrace at gmail.com. You can also go to newenglandpastor.wordpress.com and let me know what you think. Guys, I appreciate it. Have a great day. And just realize that you are dearly beloved. You have nothing to lose. You're playing with house money. Um, And that is the key to freeing you to be who God has designed you to be. Have a great day, guys. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogay. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.